I don't think you can understand Western civilization without understanding the Bible. Uh, welcome to the Murder Scripture Podcast. Today is a special episode. I have with me uh, Ben, uh, who's also known as the Amateur Exegete. And today we're going to be uh, interviewing each other and just uh, having a uh, hopefully productive conversation. And so I think what uh, I'm going to do to start is I'm going to ask uh, Ben some questions since some of you may not know him. And then uh, he'll take a turn asking me uh, questions. So, uh, Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to uh, why don't you go ahead and, uh, give a little introduction of yourself and, uh, then I'll start firing questions at you. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I, I have a, a blog that I run, uh, amateur exegete.com. And I just basically go over, uh, biblical texts, uh, from the perspective of a historical critical approach. Uh, I am an atheist, but I do have a love for the Bible. Um, and I also do some counter apologetic work as well. So, all right, great. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by your journey from, uh, from being a Christian to uh, an atheist, and I think we have a similar background, and uh, we both had connections to independent Baptist uh, churches. So, uh, yeah, first question is, tell us a little bit about that journey from, from being a Christian to atheist. Yeah, so I grew up uh, independent, uh, fundamental, dispensational, King James-only Baptist, and uh, was raised in that. Um, went to a very conservative Christian college in uh, Pensacola, Florida, um, and then uh, I moved, made the move in my 20s to uh, Presbyterianism, uh, conservative, reformed uh, Presbyterianism. Um, I, I, you know, I, my family growing up, we, we went to church every time the doors were open. My dad read the Bible all the time. He was very active in, in his prayer life. Um, so that was kind of my, you know, my upbringing. And then probably in my, it was in my late twenties, around the age of 30, that, uh, some things happened in my life and I just really began to question everything. And, uh, you know, had some really tough times held really held on to my faith, but um, eventually I just began to study more and said, I can't do this. this. This does not work for me. It does not make sense to me, and I don't think it's true. And so I became an atheist. That's you know basically how it went down mm-hmm. in a nutshell. So was that uh, was that uh, tough coming out to your, your family in that regard, or how did that go down? Uh, well, yes and no. Um, I lost some friends along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, I think they're in denial about it. <laughs> okay. uh, in fact, they were here recently and, and we had a pretty big knockdown drag out over uh, wow. political, some political stuff that ended up, <laughs> ended up, you know, uh, bleeding over into some religious stuff. But uh, uh-huh. my parents love me unconditionally and they're very supportive. And so it's, it, it's not been as bad as, you know, there's some stories that you hear and it's just, it breaks your heart, just absolutely breaks your heart. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit more. How did, how did you move from the, to the, from the fundamentalist to the reformed camp? <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. Um, basically what happened is I, I, I moved to, to, uh, Texas and, uh, I became involved with a Presbyterian church there cause I wasn't really into the Baptist thing. I tried non-denominational, and that didn't work at all. Um, so I went to a, a Calvinist Reformed church, 
And the more I got involved and the more I began to study the Bible, moving away from King James onlyism, uh, the more I thought the logic of Calvinism works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, you know, as a as a theological system, Calvinism is very rigorous. Mm-hmm. You know, relies heavily on logic and exegesis. You know, for what it's worth, um, so, and, and that really attracted me. It really, uh, I, I wanted that kind of a theology. And so I, I made the move. I, I was right in. I was a seven-point Calvinist, you know, baptize your babies, all that stuff. Um, so it was really weird going from, a, you know, Baptist, Baptist view to, uh, to that. So sure, yeah, boy, bit of a difference. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, now I, I know different people have different definitions for atheists. Uh, well, as as compared to agnostic, so do you do you feel you don't know if there is God, or you de- you definitely there just is no God? Well, hopefully, Steve McRae never watches listens to this because I don't know if you've seen on Twitter he's big on defining atheism a very okay. particular way. But um, the way I see it is, I I don't think there's sufficient evidence to ground a belief that there is a God, but mm-hmm. I cannot say for certain there is no God. So it's uh, I think on Richard Dawkins has this scale. It's pretty much the only thing that he's worth you know worth listening to. But he has a scale of gnostic atheist, agnostic atheist, gnostic theist, agnostic theist. I would say I'm an agnostic atheist. That is, I don't believe in God, but I can't know for certain that, that he, he doesn't exist. Got yeah. Okay. So as a agnostic atheist, why why study the Bible? Well, two reasons. Uh, number one, I grew up in it, so it's what I'm very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of hopes and dreams. You know, I had planned to go into ministry. I did youth ministry for some time, mm-hmm. uh, doing young adults and, and college students, and of course teenagers. But uh, so I'm very familiar with the Bible. It's mm-hmm. it's my world. It's what I know. But um, in, in the more broader picture would be, you know, I don't think you can understand Western civilization without understanding the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, Bart Ehrman makes this case in his introduction to the New Testament, you know, basically saying that if you're going to understand how the Western world works, you've got to know its foundational uh, you know, principles, and, and Christianity is part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't understand Christianity if you don't understand the Bible. So uh, I want to understand the Bible more to, you know, to see you know, what this world's all about. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so you, you've you been blogging. How long have you been blogging for? Um, oh, I think about a year and a half, maybe two years now, roughly. Okay. I know what I was going to ask you. So the uh, so with the change in the change in faith, uh, mm-hmm. was that a difficult career move? Were you in Were you in uh, ministry at the time when you yeah. you made yeah, the shift? Yeah. So I, I I moved out of ministry. I had to. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, ended up taking a job um, in the secular world, okay. Which you know, it turned out fine. It was it was a, it was a fine move, but okay. uh, yeah, there was some pain along the way. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Uh, okay, so yeah, going back to your blog. Um, so tell tell us what it, what it, you know, tell us what your blog is about, uh, and what do you what do you hope to achieve uh, with it? Uh, so basically. Uh, there's an you've, you've probably heard the saying before, uh, but it goes something like uh, American Christianity is a thousand miles wide and an inch deep. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's very true. And I, I think that's also true of atheism. I think atheism is a thousand miles wild, wide and an inch deep, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to the Bible. Usually they're just quote mining it to find something wrong with it, which I yes. can understand. Uh, or they're uh, you know just using it as a prop, as a as some you know, apologists end up doing. And so I, I saw that and I thought, no, I, I don't I don't like this. I don't like the way that atheists are interpreting. Some atheists are interpreting the Bible. Let me write about it. Mm-hmm. So I started writing about different topics, uh, but over time it's ended up being uh, in you know counter apologetics, especially against the likes of S. J. Thomason and mm-hmm. some of my like you know my common uh, opponents, so to speak. Arch nemeses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know who they are. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, so it 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 became um, uh, one aspect of it became that of uh, counter apologetics, but mm-hmm. I've gotten into the gospel of Mark and that's mm-hmm. been, that's been a really fun, really enlightening, um, you know, uh, topic to, to explore. Yeah. And then one of the other aspects I really like about your blog is that you're kind of a, uh, what they would call a tastemaker where you, you have your, your Friday night, uh, roundups. Do you still do that? I haven't, I don't think I've caught the last one. There's one doing, I, I took a break, uh, cause okay. the holiday. So there'll be one tomorrow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I really enjoy those, especially when you link to my website. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so sharing, sharing the links kind of that you've discovered through the week and then also sharing some bits and pieces from, from the books that you've been reading, uh, really enjoy those things as well. Um, but go, going to back to the, the musings on Mark, uh, tell us a little bit about that and then why, why the gospel Mark? Why did you choose this to the, that book to do a series on. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that today, actually. Why Mark? So let's start with that question. Um, Mark is, as far as we know, the very first gospel to have ever been written. It's possible there were others, but we don't have any evidence for them. So Mark is telling us uh, what what he wants for his community, but it's telling us now um, some of the things that the earliest Christians were thinking about Jesus, what they believed about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when you compare Mark with the other synoptics, and especially John, you notice some key differences. You notice that what you're always, you know, what I was taught in Sunday school and what I was taught in college, that Christianity was this monolithic thing, just isn't the case. You know, Mark has a very different Jesus than you know, the John's Jesus, mm-hmm. even than Matthew's Jesus to a certain degree. And those differences are important. And um, it represents some, to some degree, a more primitive view of Jesus. And I, I, so I think uh, that's, that's just fascinating and worthy of, of, of study. Sure. Um, but I think I got into it just because, uh, well, yeah, I'm not really sure exactly how I got into Musings on Mark. I, it's, it's been my favorite gospel for a while, but it may have had to do with some discussions on the historical Jesus and you know, like Richard Carrier's view on it being a, a, a piece of fiction. Mm. But I don't really remember exactly how that came about. I'll have to think about that some more. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and so your, your series is you're doing, you're translating, uh, yourself directly from the Greek, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then what kind of, uh, uh, well, just share some, some insights that you've gotten, like share with us, like the top three things that you've discovered kind of going through Mark as you've, as you've, as you've been going through it. 
Well, um, yeah, so today I was reading through um, Mark 1, 16 through 20, uh, the calling narrative where Jesus calls uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And when you lay out the text, you notice that it has this A-B-A-B structure. Mm -hmm. And this is not accidental at all. This is clearly intentional, and Mark does it all over the place. Um, So you kind of learn to appreciate Mark as an author. You know, the form critics tended to downplay his work as an author, looking mm-hmm. at the traditions behind the Gospels, and which is, is valuable to some degree, but very speculative. But on a literary level, Mark just shows this these signs of pure genius, mm-hmm. uh, the way he did, or the sandwich stories, where he has a, a main story and then he throws another one in the middle. And uh, he does this for rhetorical effect. Um, those kind of things really show how just amazing Mark Mark truly is. And so, you know, I was writing I was writing some commentary on Mark one sixteen to twenty, and I thought let's let's map this this section out. Mm-hmm. And it just immediately stuck out to me. Just immediately stuck out. Okay, so uh, you haven't gotten to you haven't gotten to the end of Mark yet, but <laughs> uh, do you think there's do you think there's the ending is missing. There's or at any parts of Mark. Do you think it's miss is missing from the original? So I'm not. I lean toward the idea that the ending at sixteen eight mm-hmm. is the original ending. Okay. Um, now, had you asked me this question ten years ago as a King James onlyist, I would have fought tooth and nail for the long ending. Sure. I would have cited like Dean Bergen, who wrote uh, the book, The Last 12 Verses of Mark, which was a staple for King James only. Okay. Um, uh, but, you know, now today I, I'm, I'm OK with 16.8 being the end. And I think that it's a fitting end for it. Um, you know, it, it works well within what Mark is trying to do in the gospel. The, the, the women didn't say anything. Well, of course not. Nobody says anything mm-hmm. in the gospel because nobody gets it entirely. Uh, and I think that fits into the one of the Mark and, uh, motifs. So, yeah, but, you know, I could change my mind. It's, it's up in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'm always curious about the, uh, it's Mark that has the, the naked guy with, with the, the linen. Clothing. Yeah, I, Is that I, right? I, I wrote, yes. I wrote a blog post about that. Okay. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've seen that one. I'll have to check yeah. that out. But it's, yeah. it's, he always seems like an odd character. I like out of place there. And so I'm always wondering, you know, are we missing something in that regard? Have you, have you had that type of thought? And- yeah. So in, in the post I wrote, I actually, uh, I think, and I can't prove this, but I, I, I really do believe that the naked man in chapter 15 who runs away and the young man who appears at the tomb when the mm-hmm. women come, is the same guy. The, okay. Much of the terminology is the same. He's called a young man in both. So the, the Greek there is the same. Um, so, and I think it's a picture of the disciples. I think it's saying here they, they this disciple fled. This man fled from Jesus when he was most needed. But now he's been redeemed. And I think it's a message for the marking community that says it, it's not over. You know, the see how the disciples have progressed. You know, Peter was a major figure in the church. It isn't this one decision does not ruin your life. See, this young man's at the tomb. Jesus has given him have, uh, has given him white linens, clean linens um, to uh, and he tells the women to, you know, that Jesus is he's alive. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's my now. Not everyone agrees. In fact, sure. I'm probably in the one percent of people who think that. But oh, OK. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really curious and eager to, uh, 
I'd like to myriad Mark uh, eventually and see what uh, see if the, it gives any indication of whether there's any pieces missing or anything. Yeah, uh, I think that would be fascinating. Uh, okay, so good. Um, uh, okay, so if you if you had to share one uh, post or article or whatever you want to call it from your blog, uh, if you were just to share that with, with one person, what is the best uh, post you, you think that you've that you've done that you'd want to share with people? Well, so <laughs> I'd want to keep it short, but sometimes short isn't always good. Um, I think. I think my first post in the musings on Mark series would kind of give people a taste of what I'm doing mm-hmm. and what my process is. Uh, but, you know, I was thinking about uh, some of the counter apologetic work I do. Uh, I wrote a, a really lengthy piece on the documentary hypothesis mm-hmm. uh, against uh, Heather Schultz, who, who, uh, assumed that she could take it down after studying it for two months. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I think that, I think that post in that post in particular really kind of, kind of shows what research skills I have and writing ability mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Um, okay. so, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to pick just one, you know, yeah, I don't sure. like, I don't like any of them. I don't like the way I write. <laughs> <laughs> so I hate them all, but, uh, some people seem to appreciate it. And so that, uh, it helps me keep going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You had, uh, you kind of, uh, given up the blog for a little bit and then came back. Yeah. Uh, I got kind of burned out. Yeah. And did, uh, what brought you back? Was that encouragement from other people? Was it just a, a break you needed? Yeah, I was getting messages left and right saying, I understand why you're leaving, but you know, you you have a niche to fill and we really enjoy what you have to say. And it wasn't just atheists. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just my team, you know, rooting for me. It was Christians yeah. too who were saying, yeah. We really value what you have to say. So I thought, man, I you know, I, I guess maybe I should rethink what I'm doing and bring it back. And so I did, you know, and I'm still rethinking it now, but um mm-hmm what, how I want to move forward with it all, but it's definitely encouraging. You know? yeah, yeah. 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 And I was one of those people that was uh, cheering yeah, you to come back. I so I remember. <laughs> all right. So, and I'll, I'll post links uh, to those ones that you mentioned. And yeah. also I'll, I'll post a link to that, uh, to the uh, linen naked guy uh, <laughs> post. Uh, I'll, I'll put those in the show notes so people can check that out. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you mentioned you mentioned uh, the document documentary documentary hypothesis. So let's talk about that a little bit. What? Yeah. What? Uh, I mean, going from KJV only to documentary documentary hypothesis. I've, that's that's quite a journey. What brought you? And oh, first, how did you discover it? And then, at what point did you say, "Yeah, this is this is I, you know I believe this is a, a credible theory." Yeah. So. You know, like you, I was steeped in mosaic authorship. I mean, that's what I grew up believing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Ruckman, who was one of the gurus of the King James Only movement, if you read any of his books that he mentioned, Wellhausen, uh, he called him all sorts of names. Let me—I I had some written down because I thought I thought they were pretty good. Let's see if I can find them. Oh, he called him a, a wretched liar and an apostate, uh, a dead Orthodox scalawag. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, so any reference to Wellhausen or the documentary hypothesis was always cast in a negative light uh-huh. uh, because Moses wrote it. We know Moses wrote it because the Bible says he wrote it. 
so I had well, a problem I, with that. I think that's amazing that you even heard about it back then. I mean, I didn't hear about the document the documentary hypothesis until uh, I'm in my 30s. So, oh. um, yeah, that's especially in the atmosphere. Like it wasn't even mentioned in my uh, in my church growing up. So that's really wow, interesting. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, see, it wasn't mentioned from the pulpit. It wasn't something that was discussed there. But you know, I did a lot of reading, um, and so that that was uh, a topic that came up uh, periodically, uh, like Ruckman's commentary on Genesis or his book on problem passages. You know, Wellhausen and anybody associated with it was a target. All right, so my computer was a little uh, crappy there, so uh, we lost connection. So we're re- uh, restarting here. So you were talking about the documentary hypothesis and uh, how that was, how you came to to believe in that. Yeah. So uh, so obviously the whole fundamentalist thing—you don't believe it. Mosaic mosaic authorship is where it's at, and even as it became a, a reformed Christian, reformed uh, Calvinist, um, I kind of took for granted mosaic authorship. It wasn't something mm-hmm. I thought about a lot, uh, but I would have never believed, you know, Wellhausen's theory, uh, as some have put it. But after I left uh, Christianity and, be- and moved into atheism, especially after a brief phase where I hated the Bible, because I think all atheists go through that at some point, uh, I began to dive more into the text as I read them and noticed, hey, I think these, you know, these literary seams that you see. I think there's more to it. I think mm-hmm. the contrived explanations that we read in, you know, by Norman Geisler and the rest just don't fit. And so I you know, was reading Friedman. I was you know, watching YouTube uh, lectures, um, you know, got into some uh, Joel Baden stuff. And I thought, you know, what, this this makes sense. This works. Um, mm-hmm. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a hypothesis. But uh yeah, I, I, it, it, in my mind, it works very, very, very well. Uh, so, for what it's worth, I guess. Okay, and so my my work centers around a lot around the supplementary hypothesis. How do you feel about that? How do you feel it compares to the to the regular doc- documentary hypothesis? Well, I prefer it to mosaic authorship. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I haven't. I haven't had a lot of chance to dig into the supplementary hypothesis, um, but uh, from from what I know, and, and I think your view on it is a little different than some of the standard scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, John Van Cedars, I'm sure you've heard of him. I haven't. Uh, he's – well, he's, he's one of the uh, – he's a supplementary guy. Okay. Uh, he, he, uh, he does not believe in an Elohis source. Okay. Yep. And you obviously do because you've I done do. a series of podcasts yeah. on, on the different you know, Abraham cycle, Moses cycle, and the Elohist. Um, I think was it Moses? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so he denies the Elohist source. He also does not think there was ever an independent J and P document. Oh wow! I don't know if you think that. Uh, uh, no, I think they are independent. Yes. Okay, um, and of course, in most standard versions of the supplementary hypothesis, D is the primary text, and everything is added onto D. Okay, uh, so D is usually dated pretty early on in Israelite history, whereas in the documentary hypothesis, it's usually 
what, 6th, 7th century, around the time of King Josiah, so you're looking mm-hmm. at the 600s. Uh, and J, J would obviously precede that, E would precede that, and of course P would go come after in the uh, exilic or post-exilic era. Uh, so that version of the supplementary hypothesis, I, I don't buy. I just can't get on board with. But you know, I know that just like there's many versions of the documentary hypothesis, there's mm-hmm. many versions of the, of the supplementary. So uh, I've kind of looked at the website you tend to look at and, and draw from, uh, I've spent mm-hmm. some time and that website is not very user friendly. No, it's, it's, old. Uh, it's, uh, it's terrible. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible, but, um, it's got, I, it's got some really good stuff. Yeah. That's, uh, that's Tima Yore's website, biblical yeah. criticism.com. I think it is. And, uh, yeah. I know he's got, I know he's got a new website in the works, but I think, uh, he recently became uh, a full-time rabbi. So, uh, he's had his hands full. So I think that's why that's hasn't been replaced yet, but hopefully he'll, he'll get some new, uh, a new website up soon. Yeah, those those frames on the side trying to <laughs> scroll down for each. Yes. I'm like, oh, this is not like this. That, that is awful. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I could I could easily change my mind on that, but I just I do not see it. I, I think the documentary hypothesis wins the day on that one. Okay. Uh, so I so I've engaged with uh, uh, Bernard. Lamborell, uh, in his, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in his book. And so Bernard has a theory. If you haven't listened to my uh, previous episodes or read my previous, uh, blog post, uh, Bernard has a theory where he, he believes that, uh, Abraham was, uh, uh, or Yahweh, uh, was based on Abraham or a mortal, mortal, uh, not Abraham, but uh, a mortal uh, being, Hammurabi is his leading candidate, mm-hmm. uh, who interacted with Abraham. And so I've written some uh, critiques of that or some some counter theories on that. And um, so I just want to get your thoughts. I know you've read his book and, yep. uh, you know, what do you think about his theory? What do you think about our, our conversation uh, together? And uh, just what, what do you think? Yeah, so um, I'm actually planning on writing a review of Bernard's book uh, after I get done with my review series on The Case for Miracles uh, by Lee Strobel. Um, I like Bernard a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. really, really do. Uh, He's very smart. Uh, He knows his stuff pretty well, uh, and he's just a nice guy. I mean he read your blog post, and then he wrote a blog post about how he was experiencing cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And I thought, wow, for you to for someone to admit that that is a humble guy. Yeah, that shows he wants to learn. Um, that that just really impressed me, uh, and the book impressed me too. I, I thought it was I thought it was pretty well written. Uh, I thought it was pretty exhaustive. Um, a lot I of material. He, yeah, a lot of material. Uh, it could have used a little bit better organization, I think, uh, but that's just that's me nitpicking, and that has nothing to do with this argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't I don't quite buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason I don't buy it, and uh, you, you and I may disagree on this a little bit, but I find the the section that he's concerned with, Genesis 12 through 25, there's too much theology in there for mm. me to to think this is historical in, in any way that we could draw from it and reach a conclusion like he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you would argue, and, and, and I would agree to an extent, that there's a lot of political aspect to it, mm-hmm. um, especially since these texts are meant to function in ways that um, speak to when, they're, when they were written. Mm-hmm. 
uh, to justify uh, the northern kingdom versus the southern, uh, especially with the, the Elohist uh, passages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I, I'm not really sold on the idea that there was an Abraham. He okay. very well have, could have been a legendary – in fact, all three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, could have been legendary in nature. Sure. Uh, so I have a real problem grounding the Abraham of history into the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even you know, Bernard admits this stuff. He knows it. Mm-hmm. Um, he even admits that you know, there's no record of Hammurabi interacting in that region at that mm-hmm. time. Um so he's he's willing to concede that. So that speaks to his his willingness to you know act in a very scholarly fashion as as far as that goes. Sure. Um, you know, but I think th- I think he's too quickly he's too he's too eager to dismiss the documentary hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he kind of I think he spends maybe a page and a half on that. I, I can't remember exactly, but he kind of brushes that aside. Um, and I think he's ignored some very critical scholarship on. Um, even even you know with the supplementary hypothesis, I think there's other ways of explaining these texts. Uh, dissociative exegesis. I'm still thinking through that. I'm not really makes me very uncomfortable, which okay. maybe speaks to me more than it speaks to him. But um, but I know I, I think everyone. I think anybody who's really interested in those texts should read that book at yeah. least to get a, a glimpse of what he's he's saying um, and how he's putting his argument together. And I think he's trying to work on a second edition. Is that? Have you seen I don't him? Know. Say that? I, I haven't heard that. No, I'll have to ask him that because uh, I think he wanted to do some revisions, um, but I could right. be wrong. So. Yeah, that'd be I'd be interested in seeing that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, so let's talk about me reading a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, just go ahead and give, give me your your overall thoughts on on me reading. You know, as as uh, I guess a hermeneutic has an approach to the text. Yeah, so uh, I, you talked about some of this uh, in one of your other interviews, um, and even your response. I forget who the two guys were, um, but you did a podcast responding to some of their criticisms of mirror reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I tended to sympathize with them in some ways, but then I'd hear your rebuttals and I'd think, well, maybe, maybe I'm just – maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I think mirror reading is, is really useful for texts where it's more obvious that it's taking place. Like the Pauline epistles, you know, mm-hmm. you've mentioned. In fact, any of the epistles, to some degree, even like the uh, Deuteropaul or you know the Petrine epistles, which are generally regarded as forgeries, you can kind of tell they're responding to some situation, mm-hmm. um, and it's pretty easy to do so. Uh, I think it's harder with narratives, and and you've said as much. You've said as yeah. much. It's hard. It's way harder with with narratives, and I don't think you've done any prophetic texts, have you? Have you dealt with any of the? Uh, no, not yet. Yeah, so I, you know, th- I think those would be, well, you know, now that I think about, it, I was gonna say those would be harder, but those may be easier than narratives in some ways. Um, well, well, there's 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 an extra uh, there's an extra layer there of you have to you have to know the sim- symbology sim- symbolism, and yeah. then you can dig into the the actual mirror reading. Um, so it's a little you know a little more difficult in that regard. Yeah. Um, so uh, tentatively, I think mirror reading it, it can be pretty useful. Um, but it's just not a, a hermeneutic that I'm used to using. And therefore, yeah. you know, if you don't use it, you don't, you're not very comfortable with it. I, I, I have a hard time seeing its usefulness in some of the, like when I read the gospel, Mark, you can kind of say, like, for example, I was reading Gerd, Gerd Ludemann today on his book on uh, the resurrection. And he talks about Joseph of Arimathea. 
and mm-hmm. the burial and the fact that I think it says he bought new linens. And Gerd says, uh, to the, he says, you know, it seems like Mark's responding to a situation where someone was saying Jesus had a dishonorable burial. Mm-hmm. And so this is the Markan way of saying, no, he, he was given the linens that he needed and he was buried in a proper tomb. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's mirror reading. That's exactly what that is, is yep. you're mirroring the, mirroring the situation that this text was responding to. So there's certain places where I can see it for sure. There's other places where I'm just I'm, – I'm not comfortable. And when I'm not comfortable with something, I don't want to reach a certain conclusion, you know. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so that uh, so I, I do find it I do find it useful in some places, but I'm still I'm still pretty skeptical on some um, some of the other other places, especially the the narrative portions, which okay. is your bread and butter. I mean, right. that's what I've done really so far. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. You'll you'll have to you'll have to <laughs> really really work on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's okay. Um, challenge accepted. Uh, what? Uh, oh, what do you think about the? Uh, I mean, did you get what I was saying about the the causal change, the cause and effect, and do you think that adds, uh, you know, adds some credibility to the to the mirror reading that I do? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, how do I how do I word this? Naked exegesis is poor exegesis. Mm. So when you're not explaining what what you're doing. I have no reason to believe you, but the way you construct the arguments, and then sometimes I look at your arguments, I'm saying, what, where is he getting this from? This makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> you know, what is he, what uh-huh. is he drinking? Uh, other times I'm thinking, yeah, I, I, I think I could buy that. Like, for example, I had a really hard time with your Samson episode. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I loved it. It was a fantastic episode. But Thanks. it was really hard for me to get into it. I mean, in terms of believing it, um, for example, the whole idea of Samson being uh, the counter narrative being that he was homosexual, mm-hmm. uh, like grinding at the mill, yeah. which is a euphemism could also just apply to sleeping with women. I mean, this doesn't have to be men. So there was all these like objections in my mind thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, or the movement through the astrological signs. Um which, to be honest and to be fair, I know absolutely nothing about. Um, so I, you know, and I haven't read very many commentaries uh, on judges to really kind of um, to judge that pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I was that Samson episode, man. That I was, it was good. It, it kept my attention. But man, I was like, what, what is what in the world is he talking about? Is he getting this? <laughs> yeah, I think that is. Uh, I think that is. Well, a lot of people's favorite favorite episode, or whether they agree with it or not. Um, and then you know, you I you've seen my new. Uh, I've tried trying to to create a new graphical approach to show people my causal change change yeah. and and how I'm constructing things so they get a better understanding of you know I'm not just throwing stuff out there. If um, you keep doing that, you might convince me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll keep at it. Uh, all right, so, well, yeah, so I was going to ask you what your favorite episode was or what the weakest one was and what the strongest one was. And I don't know, it sounds like Samson is all of the above for that. What, yeah, the, now, to, your series on the Northern Book of Judges mm-hmm. is really good. Thank you. Um, 
In fact, I, I think I listened to most of those over a couple of weeks because you had put them out. I had had a chance to listen to them. And so while I was mowing my lawn, mm-hmm. I had those plugged in and listened to them. And I just had to keep listening because, uh, you know, a couple of them were pretty short, but I just had to yeah. keep going. You know, I'd make up stuff to do in the yard just so I keep listening. <laughs> uh, but I really I really enjoyed enjoyed the Northern Cycle. I think that was really fantastic work, even if I didn't really buy into everything. Um, uh, you made some pretty good cases uh Cases and plus, you know, the, what I really like about you and your approach is you make you make me think about the Bible mm-hmm. because you're not doing this superficial Sunday school reading of it. You're trying to really get into the text, yeah, and that forces me to think about the passages and how they're worded and what the arguments are being you know being made by the authors. So. Uh, th- that that is the most valuable part of what you do uh, is is to force people to think about these biblical texts sometimes in ways they're not used to, mm-hmm. but certainly just to think period about them. So um, yeah, but the Elohist, I mean the uh, the Northern Book of Judges was really good. And I started listening a while back to the Elohist cycles. That was those were pretty interesting. I think I did Abraham, and I think I did I think you did an Isaac one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, it was Abraham and Isaac were all in one. One episode. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's Abraham, Jacob, uh, uh, Joseph, Moses, Moses, and Balaam. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think that's really uh, interesting that you know you can see the difference from the LOS to the Northern Book of Judges because the LOS I didn't really even have a uh, articulated methodology yet for my mirror reading it was it was the first time i'd really put a concerted effort into putting together uh you know something fully uh on a book of the bible or or source of the bible and um I mean, not to pat myself on the, on my own back, but you know the the northern. I mean, I thought the Ellis series is good, but the northern uh, book of Judges, I think, was was a definite improvement. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I was, I'm I'm really happy with that. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm right now I'm working on Elijah and Elisha, and uh, and I think it's continued improvement. Um, it's a it's a little muddy from the. Uh, the new graphical uh, things I, you know, I was talking about in trying to trying to figure that out. And those, I mean, each, each, uh, each section section I do, the, the graphics look a little bit different. So it's kind of evolving as it goes, but you know, that's, that's, that's okay. I'll get better as I go. And, uh, you know, I've improved, so hopefully I'll, I'll keep improving, but thank you for the, for the kind words. Yeah. No, yeah. It's good stuff. Uh, okay, so uh, so I met you, I met you on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I don't remember <laughs> uh, how, how did how did I how did I get the honor to to be uh, fo- followed by you? Do you remember? <laughs> so I you know you I had this all written out, and I, and I it, it, my notes say I don't remember, but I thought there's a way to find this out. Okay. So I just did a search on Twitter. Okay. So the first recorded instance of us ever interacting uh-huh. was over a picture I had put up of all these books I was researching in. I, th- I think the post – I think I was working on a post on the uh, <laughs> the triumphal uh, narr- the triumphal entry narrative and how yeah. Matthew and Mark you know, disagree and Matthew has two animals, which is one hell of a ride, which is the name of the, the post. Uh-huh. And a skeptical Christian – I think you know who he is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had commented on it, and then you, 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 
you said something else, and you said thing about you know there's such a thing as Kindle. I think is what you said. Yeah. And I think it was from that point on that I started following you because I thought, yeah, this guy, you know, he's funny. <laughs> he's he's into the Bible like I am. Uh, he doesn't just take it you know at face value like you know most people that I meet do. Uh, so, so I'm pretty sure that's where it started. Pretty okay. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did. Um, <laughs> I. Uh... That's good. I uh, I've been I've been seeing your put your your tweets on uh, how you catalog cataloging your library. Oh gosh, yeah. And I'm just kind of like I'm just kind of rolling my eyes. You're like, why? Well, you know, just buy digital. They're already cataloged for you. You know. <laughs> well, I I've got quite a and I got it's been growing, but I've got I've got a digital collection now. Okay. Quite a few books, but I still uh, have about a thousand sitting around me that need to be. Yeah entered in which is kind of a pain pain in the butt but i like a i like a book i like to be able to smell it you can't smell a kindle come yeah. on you know? yeah no i mean there are certain advantages i mean i don't like looking at the light you know from the screen yeah. all the time yeah um but in terms of like search and highlighting and notes it's like uh i it's so much easier just to keep that all uh digitized and together yeah. and linked so yeah. um but yeah, you mentioned skeptical, skeptical uh, Christian, and um, you know one of the really great things about Twitter is that I feel like uh, you know yourself and there's you know a handful of others uh, like Skeptical Christian, like Bernard, and um, you know uh, what biblical his, history. I forget, I forget his. Uh, oh, biblical historical criticism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, just, you know, a, a number of others and, you know, uh, Christian and atheist and, you know, we can, we can talk together on Twitter about the Bible and, you know, it's, it just, it doesn't matter. And we, we just really get into the text and respect the text and it's, it's a really great thing. And so I'm really thankful for, for yourself and for those other people. And, uh, you know, it's one of the great things about Twitter. Yeah, it's a good good crew there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so what are you what are you working on now? What are you working on next on on, on your blog? Yeah, so um, uh, I have a few projects uh, going on now. Uh, one of them has to do with YouTube. I've been doing a series on the synoptic problem, just doing a basic overview, not really mm -hmm. digging in too much. But you know, for people who maybe aren't you know uh, initiated so to speak because yeah. you know, I, I come up with a lot of people they kind of know about marking priority they kind of know that the synoptics are similar but different but they don't really know what the theories are the hypotheses that you know try to explain that so i want to do that and uh, of course musings on mark the weekly roundup uh is a mm -hmm. staple more you and others have, have said they really uh you know enjoy seeing that so i'm going to continue to do that definitely maybe expand some include more than five posts and there are five you know items uh, but I, I'm working on a commentary on Mark uh, that may or may not ever be published but it's become part of my work mm -hmm. uh, and I'm also working on a series uh, you may have seen some of the posts the invasion of the Bible snatchers yeah yeah um, so I've been working on that I, I just uh, recently got Hugh Ross's book on job. Okay. Uh, because he tends to think there's some scientifically advanced information in Job, and he's obviously <laughs> wrong. Um, but I need to get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I've read some Ross in the past. He was a uh, a staple back in my reform days. Yeah. But, uh, I've moved on from him because he's not really a scholar. He's a scientist. Uh, but I've seen some people quote him. So I thought, well, maybe I better directly – 
address some of these in the Invasion of the Bible Snatcher series. So those are two projects I'm working on. Uh, three, really. Three with the YouTube series that I'm, you know, trying to do something with, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, great. That's all the questions I have for you. Uh, so I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break and then, um, we'll have you fire questions at me. All right, we're back and, uh, Ben's going to shoot some questions at me now and I'll, I'll see if I can answer them. All right. Are you you ready? Are you ready for this? I hope so. (laughs) All right. So first one up, um, now, obviously, your podcast, your website, all about the Bible. Um, but why? What has made you so interested in those uh, particular texts? Well, I viewed uh, I viewed the Bible as the key to life uh, for most of my life, and even though I I don't really see that see it as that now. Uh, I've spent so many years trying to figure trying to figure it out, um, and you know that 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 you know thinking it was a key to life. It, it really drew me to it. I, I really wanted to know what it meant, and I wasn't satisfied with the teaching that I was getting. I, it, it just didn't it didn't feel right. It felt like I wasn't really getting to the meaning of it, and um, uh, so I just I just kept at it and kept at it and even even though it's you know bible is different for me now uh i you know i have developed this mirroring thing and i think i'm pretty good at it and uh you know i'm still curious as to what the meaning of the text is and uh so you know i still i still get a high uh, you know, I still get a dopamine rush when I figure something something out, and so it's challenging. And uh, I like to work on it, and I'm good at it. And so, um, you know, it's it's taken it's taken a, a bit of a backseat um, to other things in my life, uh, more so now. But um, that's you know I, that that's why I like to do it and I like to share what I discover uh, with people so your background I know we talked about um, you know I grew up independent Baptist is that your was that your experience I think didn't we interact over uh, uh, keys for kids was it boys and girls for Jesus didn't we talk about that yeah yeah uh, so so what's your experience um, yeah, well, the keys with kids. I my when I stayed the night at my grandma's house, she used to uh, Uncle Charlie used to play <laughs> play that on on Sunday mornings, and uh, I was a big fun big fan of uh, Patch Pirate uh, as a kid. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so my background is uh, I grew up in uh, uh, Independent Baptist Church, very legalistic, and uh, I got it. I went to school there too, so I got it you know, six days a week. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, it wasn't the most pleasant experience, uh, there, but, um, we left when I was in fourth grade, we left, uh, we left that church cause the pastor had an affair. So we went to a much better church and, um, you know, since then my church experiences have been, 
you know, really good. And I, maybe because, you know, my, my, my expectations were a little bit lower because of my, my childhood. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't expect perfection from, uh, from churches. Uh, that's for sure. So I don't put myself in a position to, uh, to be hurt in that way, I guess. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, and then I kind of avoid it, uh, you know, anything religious uh, throughout my high school years. And then, uh, you know, I switched to public school in for high school. And then uh, a year after high school, I lost uh, or my, my girlfriend dumped me and I took that pretty hard. And so I started looking for, you know, for some answers in life. And so that led me back to the Bible. And, um, you know, I was I was pretty sold out for quite a few years. Mm. So now when you left independent, like the independent Baptist movement, did you stay in the Baptist tradition? Did you move on to non-denominational? Um, we went to, uh, it was a missionary church. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, um, and yeah, I was there, you know, till, till the end of high school to the, at that same church there. And, you know, after that, I, I bounced around to different churches, I guess. Most most of them were probably non-denominational. Uh, I, I, had a, I had a R.C. Sproul phase, so I, I kind of got into uh, Reformed a little bit more. I used to be I used to be a huge Calvinist, uh, you know, hyper-Calvinist even. Oh. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I, don't, I forgot where I was going with that, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's, let's kind of talk about mirror reading. Um, so mirror reading is not it's not a very common way that people consciously think about the biblical texts. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's some they might do it subtly. But why why do you think that is? Why do you think people don't just readily latch onto a mirror reading of a of a biblical text? Uh yeah, so I think I could answer that from probably a few different angles. One is that uh you know, I think people do mirror read uh, just unconsciously. Like if when people read Galatians, they kind of, they can piece together that Paul is responding to something, you know. Yeah. And uh, but it's it's you know when it, when you get into the narratives, it's not so obvious. It's not so easy, and that's another reason is that it's it's difficult. It it takes you know it takes me a lot of work to figure out the mirror readings for. Uh, for these narratives that I, that I've done, so it's not really an easy thing. Uh, but I think people do realize that there's. Uh, well, first, most books you know today are written with two. You know, people already have that other half of the conversation uh, in them because they're they're living in it. They're living in that circumstance in the circumstance, so they've already got that background knowledge that they need, and so. I think a lot of people approach the Bible in the same way, thinking that it's written for them in their their life today with, you know, assuming that they already have the other half of the conversation and they really don't. Um, but people do realize that there are there are gaps in the Bible that need to be to be filled in because otherwise it doesn't make sense. And so it's uh, most people are going to or most Christians are going to fill those gaps with either uh, their theology or they're just going to chalk it up to, you know, the mystery mystery of God. Nobody <laughs> becomes an esoteric text yeah. and nobody really knows what the meaning is. And so that's just one of, of you know, God's mysteries. 
Uh, so yeah, that's kind of, kind of how I feel about it. So do you think, do you think you can discern the meaning of every biblical text? Do you think there are any texts that you might just, I'm sure you do. I think you've even mentioned a few, but, um, what do you do with texts that it's not so obvious? Like, what do you chalk it up to? Just, yeah, well, I've had to have, I've had to come to peace where, where I have, you know, accept the reality that I might not be able to figure out the the meaning of of every single word in the Bible, and um, just to live with that reality. Um, you know, however, I do think mere reading does figure a lot of it out, and um, and I think you know, biased opinion, but I think it's the best way to figure uh, you know what the meaning of the text is well it's a, you consider it and I think most do it's a subset of the historical grammatical approach because yes. you're you know you're dealing with syntax you're doing dealing with vocabulary right correct that- yep yep yeah I'd say so but it's a very important part it's it's, it's um yeah because I mean if you're if you're assuming because you're assuming either you have you have the whole conversation, or or you're not. And if you are assuming if if you assuming that you are, that's an, that's an assumption. Most people don't have a basis for that assumption. They just presume that. And um, you know, I have, I, you know, my my assumption for I don't know, really assumption, but. You know, I just see the evidence for it that we are missing half the conversation, and I try to show the evidence for for why that is. And uh, it's hard. I think people are, you know, pe- people see it as speculative, but I think it's just as speculative not to me read. And um, yeah, so well, well, let's get into that because that's one of the one of the issues I have is it just feels so speculative. Like when I hear you re- me read some texts. Um, and you propose a counter narrative. I think, well, what if what if the Bible is actually the original narrative, and what if the other narrative that we don't have access to, you know, uh, it, we, we can't we can't really you know get into it because it's not there anymore. Uh, you know, what if the Bible started at all? You know, I mean, I mean, that's probably not a good way to word it, but it, I have this I have this sinking feeling that maybe some of the biblical texts are just original arguments from the mm. authors uh, in their context. But, so allay my fears, like f- fix me. What, 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 <laughs> what, what am I not seeing? Uh, well, I mean, one thing I would say, you know, nothing takes place in a vacuum. So, I mean, unless, unless you're lack of a better word, Adam, unless you're Adam and Eve, you know, you're, you're going to be responding to something. Um, so it's, and, and the other side of that is that the evidence shows, you know, in my opinion, the evidence shows that there is uh, an opposing narrative. And these these causal chains would not wouldn't form if that uh, were not the case. And so I just I just see, you know, I don't I don't try to construct an opposing narrative. I just build I just build the cause and effects chains, and then. You know, organically, ideally, the opposing narrative will emerge f- from that, and so to have that happen by coincidence, that's hard for me to believe. Yeah, no, I yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. 
Uh, let me just switch gears for a second. Let's let's talk about um, some of the uh, biblical scholars that you've you know benefited from. Who's who's maybe your top two, three scholars? Yeah. Well, that's kind of a tough one for me to answer because I don't really have – I'm not like a big fanboy of anybody right now. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned R.C. Sproul. Uh, I started off a big fan of uh, Chuck Missler oh. and, and then moved to R.C. Sproul and then I you know, I had a charismatic phase. So Bill Johnson, uh, I was a big fan of his for a while. Oh. Um, but now, you know, I, I appreciate anyone who has uh, – who has expertise in like the original languages or the historical background. So, you know, people like uh, Michael Heiser or John Walton or Tremper Longman or Craig Keener. Um, and to be honest, I, do, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with that many secular uh, bi- biblical scholars yet. That's still, still kind of a new world for me. I mean, I, you know, I know, I know Bart Ehrman, but, you know, yeah. I'm, I, you know, I like his stuff, but I'm not like really huge into him. But yeah, uh, you know, I've 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 put my ten thousand hours in, so I feel like I kind of have my own voice now, and so I don't really rely on any one person to like you know get my stuff from. But I, you know, I do enjoy um, you know taking from you know a bit a bit a bit from everybody. So it's kind of where I'm at on that. Yeah, well, that makes sense. So let me ask you a different question. Then. Who do you not like? <laughs> Who are your <laughs> least favorite? <laughs> can you answer that? Uh, boy. <laughs> if not, we can move on. But I, I'm sure I'm sure you've got at least one or two. Um, the silence is deafening. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, Hugh Ross comes to mind only because you <laughs> mentioned him uh, before. Um, uh, John MacArthur really bothers me. It's yeah. um, pretty bad. Uh, well, that's two. I mean, if you want to stop there, those yeah. are, those are yeah. two pretty, pretty. Uh, in my 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 book, they're pretty bad offenders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what about those who would would uh, promote mosaic authorship? How problematic do you find uh, scholars who promote that view, like conservative scholars? Is that does that bother you at all, or do you not really care? I mean, it really doesn't affect your work, but. Right, right, yeah. I don't. I doesn't. I don't care. I don't like. I'm not really. Um, I'm not really into apologetics or counter apologetics. Um, I mean, I, I like reading your stuff once in a while, but um, it just doesn't. Uh, it just doesn't draw me. Draw me into that. I guess. Yeah, I've noticed you don't. You don't tend to get drawn into any kind of uh, Twitter controversies like I do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think a lot of it is. Um, I mean, I know a lot about the whole Bible, but unless I mirror at it, I don't feel qualified to t- to talk about it. You know, I can I can mention a few things, but to actually argue a, a theological position or something like that, I'm really reluctant to do that because um, because I don't really know <laughs> what what I what I you know what the text means and in a lot of these books because I just haven't I haven't mirrored them yet. So would you say you're, you know, jump, you know, going off that is your is your theology your theological theological view is that kind of in flux right now because, I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of Christians rely on creedal statements or what they've been taught, but you seem to be more like, ah, oh, I haven't read it, I don't want to make a judgment. Is that kind of where you're at? Uh, yeah, that's that is where I'm at. So, 
I, I still do I consider my I still do consider myself a Christian, but um, there's so there's this joke that one of my college professors told me, and he was talking about how there was these these Gentiles and they would become Jews in every way except for except for circumcision, and so uh, they couldn't be called Jews; they were called God fearers because they couldn't make the final cut. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's edgy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I'm kind of a maybe atheist fear, um, but I, ha- I haven't made that final cut yet. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I've had a lot of, you know, I went through a charismatic phase and, um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen people healed in the name of Jesus. I've healed people in the name of Jesus. I've been up close to demonic manifestations. And so, uh, you know, to write all that off, um, I guess it would be difficult for me at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, that's just, that's just where I'm at on my, on my journey right now. Okay. Well, well, let me ask this question then and kind of, and then maybe I'll probably ask a follow up, but, um, your, your blog posts and your podcasts, uh, almost entirely have been the Hebrew Bible. It's everything's about the Elohim cycle, or uh, you know, like the, the Northern Book of Judges. Why, why the emphasis on the on the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament? Why not the New Testament? What's what's drawn you? What, what about the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible? Excuse me. Uh, has it, what, what's what's drawn you in? Mm. Uh, well, before I started my mirror reading, I I was you know. Be- I was really into um, the New Testament. I mean, almost exclusively. Uh, I started mirror reading or trying to form or discovering mirror reading while studying Ephesians. And uh, so I had pieced together, uh, you know, kind of how I wanted to approach the Bible with this mirror reading. And I was like, well, you know, where should I start with that? I I didn't want to. I was kind of tired of Ephesians, so I was like, well, where should I go? So I wanted to start in early in, in, his, in the history of, of the biblical text. And so, uh, you know, I thought, well, Genesis may not be the, the earliest, but it's you know, one of the earliest. And, you know, so I – oh, and the other thing was I was – I was interested. I had a really big interest in the in the Nephilim or Nephilim or however you want to say it. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm really curious. Like, I'd like to figure that out for myself. So, uh, at the time, I wasn't I wasn't into the supplementary hypothesis or the documentary hypothesis. I wasn't into the mosaic authorship either. Uh, you know, I could see that there had been edits made and stuff, but uh, you know, I thought. Well, at the time, I was into the what's called one primary history i thought you know genesis to second kings was all one author and i quickly found out that that it just (laughs) it wasn't the case it was just it was splintering all over i could see i could see the the you know the seams as you say Mm -hmm. in it and so i had to take a look at the documentary hypothesis again and i knew there were some issues um well, issues with Wellhausen's, and so I was kind of looking for an alternative, and uh, stumbled upon, uh, you know, the supplementary hypothesis done by uh, Tome. Uh, uh, 
Yore's uh, stuff and thought that was really good. And so I tested it out and it was uh, worked out really well. And so that's that's what I, I went with. And I haven't found uh, too many problems with his attributions yet. Um, maybe a couple places. There's like one place in the Abraham narrative. But um, yeah, it's been pretty solid uh, overall. Yeah, so have you thought about writing anything on the uh, the supplementary hypothesis? You did a podcast where you kind of talked about it briefly, but have you thought about yeah. going into it more? Because it looks like some of the more standard takes on the hypothesis you don't really hold to. Yeah. So I think it'd be really interesting. Have you thought about doing that? Um, not really. I mean, it's not really. I'd rather spend my time mirroring. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, I. Michael Heiser calls himself a supplementarian and I know I'm, I have a very different view of, of attributions than he does. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess there's a wide range of, of what you can think, you know, when you believe in the supplementary hypothesis, but, um, yeah, I just, I haven't, I'm not that into it to, uh, <laughs> to you know to produce any work on it i'd rather i you know i'm into mirroring that's what i'd like to spend my time on and i i don't have that much time so that's you know that's what i choose to do that's fair enough how long does it take you to to mirror read a like when you did the samson cycle how long did that take to get that all together that was a long podcast episode that was what 45 minutes to an hour well, how long was that that was an hour about an hour yeah yeah um, that- yeah it was uh well, I did them. I did. I mirrored. I mirrored the whole source. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I did. You know, I got the. I got the basic. Uh, you know, I, I built causal chains for all of them, and then I. I wrote the commentary on, on the blog post, and then I recorded the, the episodes. Um, so, you know, it was all. That took uh, all of it. Took like three months, I think. Oh wow. Um, so, and, you know, previously the LOS source had taken me like a year to do. Uh, so I'm getting, I'm getting quicker and about, I'm about 50% through the Elijah, Elisha narrative. Uh, so hopefully I can, I can get that out next, next month sometime. Yeah. You've been posting on Twitter, some pretty, pretty oddball stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, anything it's, you can share about what you've kind of, you've kind of found? So, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Um, taste. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the the one that I'm probably most excited about right now is that uh, Elijah didn't resurrect. In, in speaking terms of the opposing narrative, Elijah didn't resurrect the widow's uh, son. Uh, he he ate he ate the widow's son. <laughs> That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so. That was really, I mean, that's one of those moments where it's like, you know, uh, you know, like, like the Samson, you know, Samson's gay, you know, wow, what? (laughs) And then, and then, you know, Elijah ate the son. That's, that's crazy. And, uh, you know, and so there's a whole, there's a whole story about why he, he ate, uh, her son. I mean, it has to do with not enough food and, um, the questionable the widow was actually Elijah's wife and there was some questionable um, parentage about the son and so when push came to shove they he ate him 
and you know, and I know people are like, where is that in the Bible? You know? And, <laughs> <That's my> uh, <question. laughs> yeah. Well, you'll, you'll just have to stay tuned until, uh, I, I release these new episodes. Well, okay. So that brings up another question. Um, what is your take on the historicity of some of these stories? Do you think, for example, there was a, a real Elijah and Elisha? Do you, um, I mean, it doesn't really affect your work because these are traditional cycles and stories, but what do you think? Uh, yeah, so to answer it in general, uh, me reading Tekalili doesn't pick a side. Yeah. Um, it just builds, you know, it just shows the contrast between the, the two uh, narratives. Um, but, you know, there comes a point where the biblical narrative is just unbelievable. And it's like, this is, yeah, you know, you can see the sheer propaganda in it and, um, it's just, isn't, you know, true in, in that, that sense of, of that was real. Um, and in terms of the, yeah, I would say Elijah, do I think there was really an Elijah? Yes. Yes. I, I do think there was a really an Elijah. Um, because the opposing narrative seems to, uh, ag- agree that there is, well, at least, so that's, yeah, that's the thing. So <laughs> yeah, but- <laughs> I, I can, I can only say the original readers thought that Elijah was real. Um, yeah. and so there, there's these existing stories of Elijah. And so the biblical narrative is, is trying to, uh, you know, uh, change it and fix it. So it works for for them and their political purposes. Um, and then there's, you know, there's times where I, you know, both sides aren't, I can see aren't true. I mean, the Samson cycle, <laughs> the opposing narrative is, you know, just like a pure mythological story. And so it's, it's, um, you know, neither one is, is real in that sense. So that's kind of where I'm, I stand with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about the gospel of Mark. Cause, uh, you did a cursory reading, or you have it on your website, and uh, I'm going to read you. This is your quote. This is what you said. Oh, no. <laughs> um, okay, so here we go. False teachers were arguing that, yes, Jesus did provide salvation for the Gentiles, but that was not God's plan. Jesus was not loved by God, and God disapproved of him. Jesus was a son that had gone rogue. And saving the Gentiles was not God the Father's will. Mark responds to this false teaching in the Gospel of Mark. So, end quote there. I, I, where, what, huh? Where are you getting? Where are you? Because <laughs> I'm looking at the same text. You, you, you mentioned two texts: Mark one eleven, yeah. where the skies open, Jesus sees the dove descending, and the Father, a voice from heaven, says, "You are my beloved Son." With, uh, uh, with in you, I'm. I take pleasure. I'm well pleased. And then uh, nine seven, I think it's the Mount of Transfiguration, where it, where the voice says, "This is my beloved son. Listen to him." So, but, so where are you getting this? God is uh, God did not approve of Jesus because he was a rogue son. Um, bit. Yeah. Well, let me make a few excuses first. Uh, <laughs> one that that was a cursory, re- cursory oh, yeah. reading, so I, you know, it was an in depth study on that. Uh, two, I wrote that, and one of that was one of my first posts on my blog. I, I wrote like f- 50 posts in like a, in like a month just to push material out there, yeah. Um, and uh, so I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but okay. um, 
but I would. So I, I still would take those two verses. The one where he says, uh, uh, you know, this is my, this, this is my son who, whom I love or whatever it is. And I, I would, I would still mirror that. So that would mirroring that would be, you know, this is my, not my son who I do not love. Um, and I would, I try to build, see if I could build some causal chains around that. Uh, the other one, the other verse I would still mirror, um, so, you know, this is not my will, but your will. Will So mirroring that, I mean, it wasn't God's will and it was Jesus' will. Um, and I would try to build some causal change around that. Uh, now, in terms of the, this was, um, you know, God, it was not, I forget what I said. No, it was not God's plan to save the Gentiles or it was, that was Jesus' plan or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I had... I think I, I, I read through Mark again, and I didn't see anywhere where I could pull that from Mark. And I, I think what I did is that I do see that aspect in um, like the Pauline letters. And so I think I had I had imported that from some some things that I'd done in the Pauline letters and just kind of, you know, layer that on top of uh, on top of the Mark stuff that I was doing. So I think that's where that came from. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. It's interesting because I I read those texts and I I just didn't quite see it, but uh, I, I do see where you're coming from on that. Okay. Um. So, what's more difficult to me to read a text from the Hebrew Bible or a text from the New Testament? Uh. I know there's well, a lot of genres, but right. Yeah. The first thing I won't even put them in, into that category because it really does depend on the genre. On the genre. Um. And you know the letters, the epistles are a lot easier to me read and the narratives are more difficult. Uh, Does the Christological aspect of it, the fact that everything's focused on Jesus and the new, but not in the Hebrew Bible, does that affect your mirror reading at all? Is that an added layer at all? Or does your method not really take that into account? Sorry. Sorry. Can you say the question again? So, so the new Testament is obviously uh, Jesus centered, right? Mm -hmm. So does that layer, does that, does that kind of change the way you do the mirror reading, um, how you interpret? Because, you know, the New Testament is an interpretation of the Hebrew Bible in many ways. Mm. Yeah. So does that add well, a layer? Uh, maybe. I mean, I. that's another reason why I've been focusing on, on the Hebrew Bible first uh, is so that I if I when I do – married the uh, New Testament I'd have a better understanding um, but at the same time like a, a lot like when when the New Testament authors are quoting the Old Testament they're, they're taking it out of context a lot of the time so it's like well it doesn't really matter matter if I know the Old Testament because they're just kind of <laughs> making their own thing up and um, yeah, I, I forgot the question but well, yeah, just what, was, what would be more difficult, the uh, mirror reading of the Hebrew uh, Bible or the New Testament? Yeah. So, yeah. So it was it was genre, and you know things like things like Proverbs. I think are, is was going to is going to be more difficult. Uh, things like Samson that have like a not just a counter argument, but a or an opposing argument, but a, an opposing story. Those are really hard to figure out. There's, Elijah and Elisha has been harder because they're a lot like Samson in that regard. And there's these stories and I don't know, I don't know all of the story and um, because uh, the writer doesn't address everything in the story because uh, he assumes that the original reader knows it. 
so it's it's difficult to piece that together um uh shorter shorter texts are harder to mirror read because you have less text to work with it's easier to get your head around quicker um but you have less clues because you have less you have just you just have less text in there and um even even the large sources like uh, i've been doing a series on the yahwist uh with my yahwist notes and um you know he's not the Yawas is not addressing, you know, one overall thing. He's addressing multiple political points. And so I've got to figure out each one of those points. And there's only a little bit of text to figure each one out. Uh, now, ha- having a large body to work from, you can get to know the Yawas and you can learn his techniques and his, uh, you know, his style. And so that helps a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just... I get you know if I had to pick one, I guess it'd be the Hebrew Bible because it just it has more narrative in it and less letters, and um, so I guess that'd be more more difficult. Yeah, uh, I had, did not think of this question, but um, in some of your notes, and I think you even talked about this in the podcast, um, some of the narratives have this underlying theme, like the counter narrative has this underlying theme that Yahweh is not Israel's God. Mm-hmm. And this comes up quite a bit. Um, just briefly, where are you seeing that uh, that that these the counter narrative is saying? Oh, on top of everything else, well, Yahweh's not your not. It's not the God of Israel. Where how how does that come into play? Like, where are you getting these clues from? Uh, well, a lot of, a lot of times it's just mirroring uh, a statement where it says that Yahweh is the God of Israel. And so if you just mirror that, then it's God is not. <laughs> but how do you know that's really part of the counter narrative? I mean, how do you know for, with any kind of degree of certainty? Um, it's, uh, well, I, one, I guess I haven't thought about that. I, I, I'd want to say that there's not a lot of texts addressing that issue directly. Yeah. So, so you are correct in that. Um, but I'd have to think about it. Cause I, I would want to say that the, 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 the larger issue, the other issues, does somehow play into that, but I guess I'd have to think. I have to have to think about that more. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay, good. Uh, so we kind of talked about your uh, religious beliefs, lack of religious beliefs, your upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually, when someone reads the Bible. When, especially with my atheist friends, if you read the Bible, you're obviously a Christian. What would you say to someone like that? Someone who says, well, you're not deliberately uh, looking for problems with the text. Therefore, you must be some kind of, you know, diehard Christian or diehard Jew or something like that. Usually Christian, because that's what you know most most of the people that are on Twitter that are not atheists are usually Christians. Mm-hmm. So how would you respond to, you know, because I have plenty of atheist friends who would say that. Can you restate that? I'm not sure I follow what you're asking well, there. Yeah, let me, let me, let me put this a better way. Um, uh, usually the assumption, because I've gotten this, is if I show any kind of appreciation for the Bible mm-hmm. uh, or try to defend it against bad uh, you know, bad interpretation. Uh, my views on theism as an atheist are suspect. Uh, mm. 
which is obviously invalid. But what would you say to someone who would say that to you? Would say, you know, you're just defending hardline Christianity. What kind of nuance would you bring uh, so that an, so you know the, so an atheist would say, oh well, you know, there's more to this than I saw. Yeah, I don't. It's, it's hard for me to answer because I think I'm more atheist followers now than Christian followers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's real, it's really, uh, it's really just time. And if you can stay calm during your conversation with them, uh, you know, I think eventually they get to a point where they see that you're, you're sincere. You're not just a Twitter troll or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and just try to keep the conversation civil. And I mean, some, sometimes you just, you just can't. I mean, it's the Bible is a very emotionally charged subject for a lot of people, so it's hard to get them to calm down enough to, uh, you know, to look at the facts, to look at the actual text, and um, and to you know set aside their their presuppositions uh, enough to get a new view. Yeah, well, because I think one of the issues that comes up is they think you're just wasting your life reading the Bible. This is obviously yeah. a Bronze Age myth is the common mantra, and, and uh, you know it's just, it's not worth studying. And you know, as you said at the beginning of this, when I asked you about you know why the Bible, yeah, you know, there's there's good reasons for for doing so. Um, well, to be honest, I mean, sometimes when I'm me reading, I'm like. I feel like, what am I doing? I should be out partying, <laughs> you know, and, um, uh, you know, but I think, you know, you have a good point and that it's, it's been a big part of, uh, civilization, you know, Western civilization, especially, um, man, it's a big part of people's life. And so if I can bring some, shed some light on that subject, I, I hope it helps people. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you do because you have a lot to contribute and, and you have a lot of good things to say. So here's my last question. What is your favorite book of the Bible and why? <laughs> uh, boy, that's, I thought about that one. That's a tough one to answer. And, uh, I think I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say whatever, whatever the one that I'm currently marrying. <laughs> and right now that's Elijah and Elisha. And, uh, I mean, I just, you know, Elijah's eating the kid. That's crazy. I just, <laughs> so that's my, that's my favorite. <laughs> well, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that podcast. Man, I saw that on Twitter and I thought, this guy has lost it. He has absolutely. So I think JC Murphy, didn't he say, he came yeah. back and said, I looked at the text, something like, I looked at the text and I thought, well, wait a minute, you know. Uh, but JC may have lost it too. You both have lost it. <laughs> I'm concerned. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, sometimes they jump the gun a little bit. I'll, I'll say something on Twitter and then I'll change my mind later or I have to tweak it a little bit. Yeah. And, um, but I'm, I'm pretty, you know, with that one, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. So we'll see. I don't <laughs> think I'll, I don't think I'll change my mind by the time I record the episode, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm, I've, I've been wrong before, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's fun that's fun <laughs> alright is that all you got for me that's it That's I think that's all my questions I had some extra ones written on the side but we covered we covered all that so that's good okay alright well thanks again uh, Ben for doing this uh, with me thanks for having me 
Yeah. Appreciate it. And, um, uh, thank you to everyone who's, who listens to, uh, my podcast and these episodes and, uh, let me know your thoughts. Uh, hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions or anything. And, uh, Ben's, Ben's on Twitter as well. It's, uh, at, uh, amateur exegete. So you can connect with him as well. And, uh, I'll try to post uh, a lot of the links that we talked about in the show notes for this episode. So, uh, thanks again. And, uh, that's it for today. 